Thanks for your interest in Emmanuel Baptist. Here at Emmanuel, we believe in the one and only authoritative text for guidance, the Holy Bible. We pray that this sermon will speak to your heart and open your eyes to the glory of God. Make sure you plug into your local church and get to know others that love the Holy Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just like you. Thanks again, and God bless you guys. I mentioned earlier that this is the, uh, you now have read the hundred essential passages of Scripture over this last six months, and this is uh, sermon number 20, uh, the last of the, uh, of the weeks. Uh, we started with the cosmic drama um, and kind of looking at the, the story of the Scriptures these last 20 weeks, and I want to very quickly uh, rehearse again for you the cosmic drama as I have presented it. Uh, it is in uh, five acts. Uh, let's go through this very quickly. Um, act one is creation, Genesis one and two, and at the end, God says, "This is really good. What just what I want?" And chapter two, Act two is the fall of man with Adam and Eve in particular, but we see Cain and Abel's story and Noah's story in the Tower of Babel. So Genesis three through eleven shows how bad uh, humankind has rebelled against God. Did any of you see the Noah presentation uh, this weekend uh, on? CBN, a TBN, okay, uh, Sight and Sound in uh, Lancaster, uh, Pennsylvania, and we saw it this weekend, and uh, it really talked about Noah and, and the, uh, the wickedness of man, and that's part of this act two. Act three is Israel, which is from, from Abraham, Genesis 12, through Malachi, not all the Old Testament. That's a lot. So I've broken down act three into five scenes. The first scene is the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then throw in the Joseph story of what happened, how God is using Abraham's family to bring blessings to the world. That was the covenant that God made with uh, Abraham. And then scene two is theocracy, when God used Moses to bring them out, the children of Israel out of Egypt uh, to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, God said, if you'll be my people, I'll be your God. They said, yes, sir. And he said, okay. And so they became God's chosen people. Now that you're my people, here are the Ten Commandments, here are the laws to be different from everybody else, and also here's a tabernacle because you won't be keeping it, and you need a way to get to me, a holy, unholy people, holy God. And I am your God. I am your king. Theocracy means God is the ruler. So that happens through the wandering wilderness into the promised land with uh, Joshua, the time of Judges. And during this time, we have uh, a loose confederation of the 12 tribes. There's nothing centralized. And they said, we want a king like everybody else. Samuel's a prophet and didn't like that because he thought they were rejecting him. And God told Samuel, I'm not re they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. They want a king, I have a king for them. So at the end of that, Samuel 8 is when God, or Samuel 9, tells Samuel, to uh, anoint Saul as the king of all of Israel, all 12 tribes, a united kingdom, Saul, David, then his son Solomon. You know that story. Those are the three kings over the all 12 tribes, a united kingdom. At the end of um, well, 2 Chronicles 36, well, really not at that time, um, after Solomon dies, the kingdom divides into two. Northern ten tribes is Israel, and southern two tribes is Judah, and they have two different uh, nations with different kings during this time. This is the monarchy when a, a king or a queen are ruling. 
Um, the northern kingdom of Israel is defeated by Syria in the, in the 700s, and they are put in exile, and they are scattered to the four winds, and they're no more. The southern kingdom of Judah listed, lasted another 150 years and eventually was defeated by Babylon, and they were taken in exile to Babylon. And David is, I mean, Daniel is an illustration of that. This is the exile. When they're away from, in punishment and discipline, they're away from the promised land. And then they are come back 70 years later in the post-exilic time, and Ezra and Nehemiah are pictures of what's going on during that time. So some of those are going back to the promised land. So that's all, all, all the Old Testament in about two minutes. Wow. Um, so let's go back to Act 4, which is the Messiah. All during, uh, really, from Act 2 and Act 3, we have a hint, and it grows and grows and grows about this Redeemer who's going to come. And this is the Messiah, but he doesn't show up at the end of the book of Malachi. So the Messiah, which is Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is teaching and telling through different ways that Jesus is the Messiah. That's been the promised one of the Old Testament. Jesus, you know, dies and is resurrected, and he talks with his people for off and on for 40 days, has ascended back to heaven. And at Pentecost, really, the church begins. The Holy Spirit comes and lives among us, lives in us, at the day of Pentecost. So Act 5 is the church, from Acts to Book of Revelation, chapter 20. So 20 is when Jesus comes back again. We didn't read that part. But 20 and 21 really is beginning of a new drama. I have said before, at the, when, in fact, there's a billboard. If, if you're on 70 coming into Kinston, there's a billboard over there. You see that? When the, when the author steps onto the stage, the drama's over. C.S. Lewis, I've used that. I need to take a picture of that uh, before it goes down. I've used it often here in this place. In, Act, in Revelation 20, when Jesus comes back, he is the author. He is the star. He is the producer of the play. And when he steps onto the, into the, the end of the play, this, the curtain comes down and the play's over. It's, it's done. But we've got two more chapters. And this is a new drama, as we said, new heaven and new earth. So this is a new drama, and you'll see more about that in a little bit later. So today is the destiny of the redeemed, this new drama that begins, Revelation 21 and 22. So where will, the, where will the redeemed be, the saved? Where will we spend eternity? What is our eternal destiny? Now, we say heaven, okay, that's not a bad answer, but what will it be like? What will it look like? What, what was, what's happening there? Now, we hear all kinds of things. We sing all kinds of songs, which may be correct, may not be correct. I'm not going to worry about that right now. But it's kind of, we don't never been there before. We don't know exactly except what the Bible teaches us. John in his revelation gives us some pictures in Revelation. This, this whole book of Revelation is, is fascinating. It, it's, like, it's like a comic book. It's pictures there. Kind of give us a, more of a feel. So as I read today, I don't want you to look necessarily literally at, at the picture there, but, but imaginatively. Look at the pictures and what is it saying? What, what are you feeling? What's the impression you're getting as we read through the scripture in just a minute? Think about the dreams you have. And they're weird. Um, aren't they? Most of them are weird. 
Karen told me this morning, she had a dream last night. We were, we were watching uh, a series on TV, on, on, on Netflix, and, and there was a, uh, a band playing. And, um, and she said, this morning, I had a dream about that band last night. I went, well, that's really weird. And she said, it was really weird. And she don't know what it means or anything. We have those, those weird dreams. And, and, and we sometimes say, what does it mean? Uh, John's experience was a vision, he says in chapter 1. It's even weirder than your dreams. It, it, it's, it's weird. We don't understand. I remember back, whoa, like late 70s, early 80s, Dr. James Dobson, focused on the family, was coming into the fore uh, with his video series, and he became a, a nationally known uh, uh, entity. But he, he tells a story. I, I never forget this story. Um, when he was, his little son was five years old. Ryan was five years old. And they were driving down the highway there in Southern California. And you, you remember the uh, drive-in theaters? You remember those, don't you? And remember, they started going down. And then they started uh, showing X-rated movies there. And they turned the lights to the highway so you couldn't see the screen. I lived in Raleigh, and there's one close to Garner. We go by, you know, I remember that all the time. Because you couldn't see the screen. So, so, so Dr. Dobson's driving. His little five-year-old son runs in the back seat. And, and they're driving, and Ryan says, oh, that's where they show the dirty movies. And Dr. Thompson's says, what? How do you know about dirty movies? Oh, that's where they throw mud at each other and get all dirty. Well, see, a five-year-old, five-year-old boy, girl, doesn't know anything about sex, about dirty movies, sexual stuff. I mean, it's just beyond their comprehension. Uh, so it, it came. I think sometimes like us, too, we're trying to figure out heaven and eternal destiny. And we're like a five-year-old person and say, well, that's a dirty movie. Now, after I graduated from college, I worked with McDonald's for six months because I needed to eat. Um, I got, I hate saying a real job. That was a job. I got a professional job after that. I got a job with Farm Bureau Insurance Company in Raleigh as an automobile underwriter. And Bill became really my boss's boss. He's the one that's hiring he interviewed me and explained the position to me. He explained in detail what an underwriter does. And I went, okay, okay. I got hired. I was there six months, and I went back to Bill and said, Bill, when you interviewed me and told me about the job, you said it, what you said was exactly right. You, you explained it very well, but it was not a thing like I thought it was going to be. Does that make sense? You been there? I think John is describing things to us about heaven and i think he's describing exactly right but i think when we get there we're going to say it's not a thing like i thought it was going to be i think it's just beyond words i think i think john has a vision and i think he's trying to give us some pictures so again let's not dissect it literally like it's a photograph here's a photograph of, of the heavenly city Think of it as, as, as a vision, as a dream, as, as mental images, as an impression for the next few minutes. So John here in Revelation 21 and 22 gives us three visions of our eternal destiny. Our eternal destiny will be like, first of all, a tabernacle. And that's what I read, chapter uh, 21, uh, 1 to 7. It's like a tabernacle. He says in verse 1, it's a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, that's where we are today, have passed away, and the sea was no more. It's a, it's a new earth. 
And it's like, verse 2, like a bride adorned for her husband. A woman is never more beautiful than on her wedding day. All that goes into her makeup and her dress and everything revolves around the bride, and, and she is beautiful. I don't care who you are. You're, you're beautiful on that day. You took that wrong. Uh, but, but maybe you're reading my mind. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, you, you get my picture. Verse 3, God is going to dwell with us like a tabernacle. The tabernacle in the Old Testament, which is in the middle of the camp of Israel, or the temple. That's where God lives, is in, is in a tabernacle. He will place his dwelling among us. God wants to be in our midst. Verse 4, he'll wipe away every tear from the eyes. Death should be no more, and there should be mourning or crying any pain. For the former things have passed away. It's a new day. Verse 5, I'm making all things new. What does he mean? I can imagine, but I don't know. I'm not sure what that means. It's really beyond our present understanding. And then in verse 6, and then he said, it is done. It's over. The process is over. The new drama has begun. The new drama has begun. So what's the point here? The point is, is that, that the new heavens or the, or the new Jerusalem, we'll see in just a minute, is coming down to earth. See, our destiny is not up there somewhere. So often, I mentioned this last week, I think, so often uh, when our loved ones die, they've gone to heaven and we can't wait to be with them. Okay, I understand that. But, but heaven is not our final destiny. Our final destiny is here on earth, on a new earth, a new heaven. So heaven is a um, midpoint. Heaven is a way, uh, N.T. Wright calls it an end on the, on, the, on the journey. You go so far on the journey, you've got to stop for a while, and then you keep on going. Heaven is a stopping place. Great. And our loved ones are there who, who are in Jesus. And I'm not trying to negate heaven at all. And heaven's a real place. But that's not where we're ending up. Heaven and earth are going to come together. We'll dwell with God like a tabernacle. We'll have fellowship with God. Now listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, now I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So giving a picture here that God will be in our midst. We'll know Jesus face to face. Picture of a tabernacle. Second, it's a picture of a city. Look at verse 9. 9 to 27. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Who's the wife of the Lamb? The church. It's us, you and me. It's the church. Verse 10, he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, coming to earth. Having the glory of God, its radiance like the most rare jewel and a jasper clear as crystal. And it had a great high wall with 12 gates, and the gates 12 angels, and the gates names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. I want you to just kind of get a, get a feel here as I'm reading this. On the three east gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and the west three gates, 
And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 strata. Its length and width and height are equal. That's a cube. And he measured its wall, 144 cubits, by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. What does that mean? I have no idea. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundation of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the, the sixth garlilean, the seventh and eighth and ninth and tenth and twelfth. <laughs> All kinds of jewels. And the 12 gates, verse 21, were 12 pearls, and each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of the Lord of God gives it its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light... Will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it? And its gates will never be shut by day and there'll be no night there. And they'll bring into the the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Are you getting a little bit of a picture here? This holy city. In verse 12, it talks about these, these gates, there's three gates on each of the four sides of this city is walled city uh i think that means this you can enter from any way any direction you come in you can get into the city and there's there's three different entrances the foundations the apostles which is really the new testament what the apostles taught jesus and the apostles that the gospel and then it it says how big it is it's by twelve thousand strata that's interesting that's 12 times 10 times 10 times 10 and the Bible loves these numbers. I think it really kind of, it's a cube, like the Holy of Holies. And in the tabernacle, uh, and in the temple, the tabernacle was uh, 10 cubits by 10 cubits by 10 cubits. That's about 15 feet by 15 feet by 15 feet. That was a, a cube where the Ark of the Covenant was, with the Holy of Holies. And so this, this is where God lived, and also in the temple was very similar. So here God is living in this city, like the Holy of Holies. This is where God lives, where he interacts with us humans. Then verse 14, it says the wall is 144 cubits, which is 12 times 12, 200 feet. Now, as you read this, I'm confused. Is it the height of the wall or is it the width of the wall? I don't know. But again, I'm trying to look at it literally, and let's get a picture of it. Let's get a, an impression of it. Um, 18 to 21, the bill of materials are precious gems. Just, just, just think about that. Just precious gems, how important those are in our, our culture and our economy, but it's just built by precious gems. And, and, and then the gates are made of pearls. How big? It doesn't say. But it's big. You know, if it's a, it's a big gate, I'm just going to imagine. I don't know as big as, as the ceiling is here. Can you imagine a pearl that big? Can you imagine the oyster that made that pearl? 
Okay, so, so I'm, don't get literal on me. See, I don't think it's really literal here. But how is a pearl made? Some irritant, something gets into the oyster, some irritant, and he gets stuff on it to protect himself, and he makes a pearl. That's how pearls are made. It's made by suffering. I think these gates represent we come into this holy city through this pearl that's made by suffering, the sufferings of Jesus. So again, let's, let's not take this literally, but, but let's see what this is trying to say to us. Streets of gold. We sing those songs all the time. Well, that may be literal. It may be get to heaven, get to the new heaven, new earth. I may be there, but I don't know if it is or not. Let's get a picture of it. And you've heard jokes about this too. But the pavement we're walking on is the most precious commodity in the world today is gold. We're walking on it. I think, I think that's kind of the, the point. I, I, think, I think Jesus, I think John here is trying to use human words to describe the indescribable. He's trying to put some pictures here for us to get the impression on your mind. So, so what, what is John trying to say here about the city here? I think he's saying by how the city is, is, is operating, there's room for all. There's, there's no, no vacancy signs. It's all full, no more. And, and you can enter from any direction through the sufferings of Jesus, through that pearl. Now, we hear in our culture, and I always heard, the many ways to God, things like Oprah would say and others, and that's not true. Now listen, there's only one way to God, and that's through the sufferings of Jesus. But there's many ways to to Jesus. If every one of us had an opportunity today to share how we came to Jesus, I bet you they'd be all be different. So with many ways, there's different, some may come from the north, some may come from the south, some come from the east, come from the west, come into the city through a different way, through the suffering of Jesus, we come to God. And I think that's what this picture is in my thinking. We can enter from any direction, from all directions, but we enter only through the sufferings of Jesus, through the cross of Jesus. So what does a city represent, at least in the first century mind, into the ancients' mind? Well, it's protection. You get a wall there. You're protected from the enemy, protected from wild animals. I mean, you don't, if you're in a tent somewhere, you might have wild animals come, you're, you're protected. Uh, you're protected from robbers. A city then had a wall, and that said protection, safety. And John is saying, this is big, humongous. Some have said this literally. If you go by the strata, that's like 1,500 miles cube. And I've had people saying, we could put, I don't, I'm putting a number out, 20 billion people in there, you know, at different levels. There's room for everybody without getting specific about that. There is eternal security there. So the destiny of the redeemed is like a tabernacle. God lives with us, and it's like a city. Third, it's like a garden. Let's look at chapter 22, verses 1 to 5. I got that wrong. It's 22, 1 to 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God. Now, the lamb through the middle 
of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb of the Lamb will be in it, and and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. At night there will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. A picture here of a garden. Water flowing from the throne that heals, that produces great fruit. The fruit and the leaves are for healing. And we see his servants in verse 3 worshiping. And they'll say God face to face. Wow. The Bible says that Moses saw God's face face to face. I think that's a little over the top. He really didn't. He saw his glory. He didn't see his face like I'm seeing your face. But he was in God's presence. Do you remember when Moses uh, later on in the wilderness, he said, I want to see your glory. And God said, well, I don't think you can handle it. Say, well, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. Put my hand on there. I'm going to walk past you, and you'll see the backside of me after I go past. Because you can't take it. Now, if you've seen Jesus' face, you've seen the face of God. But we'll see his face. And we, they, we will reign with him forever. Well, so what is, this, what is this picture of this garden here? Well, there's provision. There's fruit for us. There's, there's, there's provision for us. We'll be worshiping, reigning with him. The tree of life is there. We've heard that before. Genesis 2 and 3. Uh, the curse is undone. Got another sermon. Can't preach it now. Don't have time. The, the three gardens in the Bible. Garden of Eden. What happened there? And, of course, we've got this garden here. But we can get to this garden here in Revelation because the garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus went to the cross for us. So those, those pictures we have of a garden. Jesus on the cross is a curse for us. We have salvation now, but here we see a picture of complete salvation. We call it glorification. Be completely saved in his presence face to face. Wow. A tabernacle, a city. A garden. Hope I can get through this. Um, one of my favorite books is C.S. Lewis's Chronicle of Narnia. Have you read those? Seen it. Uh, there, there are seven books, and they're all good. My favorite is the last one, The Great Battle. Uh, it's eschatology. It's the last things. There's an Antichrist, and there's, a, there's a, a false prophet there. There's Aslan, which is the Christ figure. Uh, and with the children there and so forth. And uh, it, it's a thing of judgment where the old Narnia is destroyed and the new Narnia comes. I mean, it's, it's just, again, Lewis is a master of painting pictures. I want to read to you the last page of the last book, the last chapter of, of the, um, the last battle is what it's called. So this is how Lewis ends the Chronicles of Narnia and how he leads us from the old Narnia to the new Narnia. And the very first person whom Aslan called to him was Puzzle the donkey. You never saw a donkey look feebler and sillier than Puzzle did as he walked up to Aslan. And he looked beside Aslan as small as a kitten looks beside a St. Bernard. The lion bowed down his head and whispered something to Puzzle, to which his long ears went down. 
But then he said something else of which the ears perked up again. The humans couldn't hear what he had said either time. Then Aslan turned to them and said, You not yet look so happy as I meant you to be. Lucy said, We're so afraid of being sent away. Back to England, Aslan. And you have sent us back into our world so often. No fear of that, said Aslan. Have you not guessed? The hearts leaped and a wild hope rose within them. There was a real railway accident, Aslan said softly. Your father and mother and all of you, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. As he spoke, he no longer looked at them like a lion. The things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And this for us is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say they all live happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures of Narnia had only been the cover and title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and in which every chapter is better than the one before. Amen. Uh, thank you, Lewis. That's just powerful. Uh, he, he, he has a glimpse, I think, of these two chapters. Uh, in an imaginative way, with, with, line, with uh, As in the Lion and, and Narnia. But our eternal destiny would be like a tabernacle, dwelling, dwelling with God face to face in fellowship with Him. It's like a city, room enough for all, protection for all, eternal security. It's like a garden, provision forever. We'll worship and serve and reign with him forever. Well, the curtain comes down, and the drama and the authors, I said, the director and producer and the star, steps to the stage. Let's lastly look at verse 6 and following. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what soon must take place. And behold, I am coming. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these sayings. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed, me, showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with these are those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil. Let the filthy still be filthy. Let, and the righteousness still do right. And the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon. Bring in recompense with me to repay each one for what he or she has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes in the blood of Jesus, so they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexual immoral, murderers and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things. For the, for the churches... I am the root and the ascendant of David, the bright morning star. The, spirits and <clears throat> the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. 
I warn everyone who hears the words of prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which is described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord be with all. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we're, I am, I think we are all overwhelmed by these two chapters and what it means. And, and the pictures were, we're getting the impressions, the, the emotions we, we have here. And, and we can't begin to understand what it's going to be like. It's just beyond human imagination and, and human words. But we thank you for giving this vision to John and he's giving it to us. We thank you for this, this glimpse of the future, the, our destiny. We thank you in Jesus' name. What do you think about heaven now? What do you think? Well, these, these are pictures, images, impressions about our eternal destiny. Words really cannot describe it. It's, just, it's really way beyond our imagination. And as imaginative as C.S. Lewis, and he called it sanctified imagination, as, as imaginative as C.S. Lewis is, it's beyond that. Have you made your reservation yet? Verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. And the one who is thirsty Come, for the one who desires to take the water of life without price.